Well, thank you for joining me once again for a life-changing and powerful message from God's Word. We are starting a brand new series today called Crazy Times, Crazy Life. And today we're going to talk about competing world views. If you look around, to me it seems at least, our world is divided. Seems like two worlds living next to each other. In America, they talk about two Americas, 50-50 split right down the middle. And I would suggest it's not really divided between left and right, or black and white, or young and old, or even urban or suburban, or people who have to wear the masks and people who don't like to wear the masks. I believe it's much deeper than that. And in today's message, we will uncover some things, how the different worldviews are thinking and believing and seeing the world that we live in. But before we dig deeper, how should we as Christians, who we are, as believers, as followers of Christ, how should we live or what is our posture to be? And I love 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where it says in the New International Reader's Version, God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit that gives us power and love. It helps us to control ourselves. So we do not have a weak spirit or a fearful spirit. We don't have a timid spirit or a spirit of cowardliness or despondency. In the King James Version, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we are not fearful. We do not worry. We actually cast our worries upon him because he cares for us. We can throw and cast our worries and fears onto Jesus who takes care of us. We are not fearful. We do not worry, which does not mean to be careless. It just means to cast our cares upon him. We're not cowardly. We're not despondent. In Joshua chapter 1, a very interesting chapter, three times after Moses passed away and Joshua became the new leader in uh, quite a, a difficult time, he had the challenge of leading the people from the desert across the Jordan into the promised land. God told him three times, three times in a row in a, a short chapter to be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So, we need to be strong. We need to be courageous, not afraid, 
not worried, not weak, but strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now the times we are living in are anything but easy. Now we only know in part. We don't see totally clear. Now when I grew up, we had uh, on these old-fashioned doors here in Europe, like doors from one room to the other. Like, it was crazy. Nowadays, uh, houses are more open. There's no door between the dining room and the living room usually. But in the old-fashioned European houses where I grew up, we had these doors between all rooms. And there were, you know, wooden doors with a glass in the middle, which was not really see-through, you, you could kind of see-through, but not really see-through. It was this uh, glass that you could only make out there's something behind the door, there's maybe a human being, you could see maybe there is a table or some chairs, but you could not see very clearly. It was not clear glass, it was, uh, you know, not see through in that way. And that reminded me of the days we live in. We can tell there is something. We can know certain things. We know there is a God. We know there is a life after this world. We know there's spiritual realities, but we do not see totally clear the way we will see when we see God face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it actually says that. It actually, verses 12 and 13, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully Known. So Paul says in verse 12, hey, now we don't see clearly, we see only in part, but a day is coming when we will see clearly, we will know fully, even as we are seen and known fully by God. And now, verse 13, now, the times we live in now on this planet, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So what remains or what abides until then, until we know fully and see clearly? What remains? Well, three things, faith, hope, and love. Now, love is the greatest because God is love, and love should dominate our lives. By this shall all men know or recognize that we are his disciples, disciples of Jesus, if we have love one for another. We're also supposed to love the world, meaning the people, not the world system or the world lifestyle or the world ways, but the people. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Life to the full, life to the max for all eternity. So what remains until we see clearly and know fully? Well, faith, hope, and love. And we, 
are going to talk about having a crazy faith, a crazy hope, because it's going to look crazy to many people who don't understand. The faith we have looks crazy. The hope we have looks crazy. And also crazy love. Okay? So we will speak about these and many more topics and very important topics. But let's go back now to our divided world. Because I'm really afraid. I'm not afraid, but I'm afraid the division is only becoming bigger. The fact is, there are two competing and contradicting world views. Now, a worldview is a framework of assumptions with which we evaluate and interpret the reality that surrounds us, how you and I see the world. There's two dominant worldviews. Now, there are variations to that, but two, seems, two of them seem to dominate our society, our culture today. So I'm not saying those two are the only uh, worldviews out there, but they dominate, and generally speaking, we have those two worldviews that we will talk about today. Now, before we talk about them, let's say one more thing about society and culture in general. Society and culture flourishes when there is a consensus, when there is unity, when there is oneness, when there is harmony in a business, in a family, in a marriage, amongst relationships, in a church, when there is a consensus, when there is unity, oneness, and harmony, it flourishes. Now, when business people come together in unity, great things can happen. When a family is one in unity and harmony and love, great things happen. In a marriage, when two agree in, in love before Almighty God, it's the most wonderful heavenly thing when we love one another. Marriage is heavenly when there's harmony and oneness and unity, when there's a consensus. The opposite is true as well. Marriage can be hell on earth when there's division, when there's disharmony, and when there is, you know, split in the middle. Unity makes great things possible. Let's just say that again. Unity makes things great. Now, Jesus says, you shall know them, they will know you by your love one to another, by being one. But here's the truth. We cannot count on that anymore in culture. We can live it in marriage. We can live it in family. We can live it in our own businesses and try to have that harmony and oneness and love. We can pray for that unity in the church and everywhere we are active. But honestly, we cannot count on it in culture anymore. Actually, I don't believe it is possible anymore to have unity in culture. Actually, the Bible promises us there is light and darkness. And we should be the light of the world. And we should be the salt of the earth. And that's our job as believers, as Christians. But I don't believe we can create a unity, a oneness anymore in 
culture because there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. There is darkness, there is light. There is Satan, and there is God. But the light is always stronger. God is infinitively bigger and stronger than the kingdom of darkness. Now, a worldview answers three questions. And these three questions and your answers to those three questions uh, determine your decisions that you make, my decisions that I make, and also reactions to what happens in society. Question number one, where do we come from? Every worldview has to answer that basic question. Where do we come from? What is our origin? Why are we even here? We'll go deeper into that in just a minute. But let me lay out for you those three questions. Question number two, what is the problem? How did we get into these situations? How did we get here? How did we get into these problems, this, this situation we are facing in the world? And question number three, what is the solution? How do we get ahead from here? How do we get out of this problem? What do we do now? Where do we come from? What is the problem? And what is the solution? Every worldview has to have an answer to every one of those three questions. Now, let's talk about the two dominant worldviews we have in this world. Worldview number one is secularism. Some people call it secular humanism. Humanism means that man or human is in the center. Obviously, as Jesus followers, we know that God is at the center and not man. God made man in his image, but it's not about humans. It's about God and his kingdom. Now, there's different varieties and there's different labels, once again, to this worldview. But generally speaking, we have what we will call secular humanism. Now, how does this worldview answer the first question? Where do I come from? Well, basically, this worldview says we are the product of random chance, evolution. It's coincidental. It's a coincidence. It's random chance that we are here. That's what evolution really teaches. That also means that there is no purpose. We evolved as a product of cosmic evolution by random chance. Now, if we believe that about where we come from, if somebody believes that, I certainly do not, but when people believe this worldview and that we are the product of random chance, there are some implications to that worldview. Now, there are several, but let me give you two. The first one, since there's no explanation 
for the randomness of our ascent to the top of the chain of evolution, we must believe that self-actualization is the highest value one can aspire to. If I'm just the product of random chance, the ultimate goal can only be to maximize my place and to maximize my position in this world. If I'm the product of chance, let me just make my position as great as possible. Let, let me make my place in this world as important and as great as possible. And number two is, because all this is coincidental, there is no God out there. There is no God to whom I have to answer. I don't have to answer to God because there is none. So where do we come from? This worldview says it's random chance, it's evolution, it's coincidence. How does this worldview answer the second question? What is the problem? How did we get into this predicament? How did we get into these situations? How did we come this far? The answer of the secularist is, we are where we are because external social pressure or pressures prevents man from evolving to the fullness of what he or she can be. And if we could only remove, remove all external pressures, man could be exactly what he can be. He could be his best self. The solution, remove any so social pressures. Let me give you an example or a couple examples. Let's say poverty. Is poverty good or bad? Well, poverty is not good. But how do we solve the problem of poverty? By distributing equally? Now, I, I forget who said it, but give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man or a woman how to fish and you feed her or him for a lifetime. Now, the solution is not that we, you know, uh, just give things to everyone equally, but it's to teach people how to make it happen themselves with the principles God has laid out in his word. So this view says if we just relieve people of the pressure of poverty, we solve all the problems. Well, it hasn't worked, it's not working, and it won't work in the future. What about racism? Now, in this view, racism is not the result of the human heart, which we believe. We believe that racism is due to the condition, the depravity of the human heart. But in this worldview, racism is not the result of the human heart because man is generally good. You've heard this before. Believe in the good of humans. Believe in the good of others. Now, I don't believe in the good of others. I believe there's good in you and good in me, but actually there's bad in us. The Bible calls it sin. We are by nature sinners, 
we need a savior. So in this worldview, racism is the result of systemic external pressure. We don't fix the problem by working on external pressures. As Christians, we believe the heart of man is the root of the evil. We believe that man needs to be changed and only God can do that. I'm totally against racism. I'm totally against poverty. But our way of how we want to fix it has to be the right one. So in this view, it's systemic external pressures. And let us break down everything that holds us back, including the police. Let's defund the police. Let's remove all sexual boundaries, all geographical boundaries. Let's even remove all uh, gender boundaries. Now, that's what this worldview tends to think. Now, how does that worldview answer question number three? I already you know, alluded to it. What is the solution? We have to free people from these social external pressures. It's not the heart of man. It's the social external pressures that will fix it. So we said no boundaries, no social boundaries, no sexual boundaries, no geographical boundaries. Everybody the same. Everybody the same. Now in Genesis 5-2, God says, He made them male and female. He created them in His own image as man and woman. Now there's only two sexes man and woman. There's not a third sex. There's not a third kind of person. God made them man and woman, male and female. And God decides if you're male or female, not you. My wife Christy sent me this article about this model. I forgot her name. I really didn't know her. But this model is having a baby with her celebrity husband, I forget who they are, but they basically said, we do not know the sex of our child. We do not know if it's, if it's a boy or a girl, and we won't know <laughs> until it is 18 years old. And then he or she or wh whoever it is will tell us the sex. It's craziness. Uh, so there's no boundaries. There is no uh, social, sexual, geographical, cultural boundaries. But the problem is there's also no authority. Don't tell me what I can do. Don't tell me what I can't do. And I think, and I know, if you're a true Jesus follower, you can see that this can only collapse. This cannot last this will not work because there's a big difference between wanting to be free and actual real freedom. Now, uh, as, a, as a kid, I loved uh, locomotives. I loved trains, choo-choo trains. You know, 
and I actually had some some model uh, train that I had in my basement, and the train is wonderful. It works and runs electrically. I had it, you know, uh, running electrically, and it works wonderfully if it's on the tracks, but it will not move, and it will not do any good, and it's no no fun. It has no goal without the tracks. And that's how life is. We need authority. And our authority is God and His Word. And we need boundaries. We need tracks. You know, everybody does. And actually, by living that way, that leads to real freedom, actual freedom, and not some kind of counterfeit uh, freedom. So that's the big difference. I want my freedom. I don't want any boundaries. I don't want anybody telling me what I cannot or can do, but that does not lead to real freedom. It, it is the real freedom that comes when we submit to God's authority, the authority of His Word, the boundaries of His Word, the tracks of His Word. That leads to real freedom. So that's how the first worldview, the secular, humanistic, or secularist worldview answers these three questions. Where do we come from? Coincidence, random chance. Uh, what is the problem? Well, systemic, societal, external pressures. What is the solution? Well, to remove all boundaries and to remove all external pressures but you cannot command racism to go away. You must change the heart of people. Worldview, only God can do that, by the way. Only God can change a man's or a woman's heart. Worldview number two, Judeo-Christian worldview or biblical worldview. And obviously, I don't have to tell you that. It's, you know, you understand that by yourself. Uh, answer, uh, that worldview answers those questions entirely different. In Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, we know that Paul, in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, quoted this Psalm 14. Actually, it's repeated in Psalm 53. So it's a very important uh, passage of Scripture. And Paul says, there is no one good, not one. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's, it's incredible how clear the Bible is about what a fool is and what a fool says in his heart, that there is no God, everyone's corrupt, nobody's deeds are good, there's no one righteous, no, not one. Now, the humanistic, secular worldview says, oh, we're all basically good. You know, it's this fake goodness, fake love. 
and it leads to fake freedom and it will ultimately collapse. Now, how does the Judeo-Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, answer those three questions? Number one, where do we come from? Well, we believe every human being is a purposeful creation made in God's image. We are God's images. We are God's imagers, every human being. No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how beautiful, pretty, or how ugly, no matter how tall or short, how big or small, no matter what sex, male or female, healthy or unhealthy, normal or abnormal, whatever category you want to give, human beings in the category of human beings are made in God's image. And we are a purposeful creation. The implications of this position, we have to answer to God. We are subject to Him as our Creator. We have purpose and significance. Yes, we have a purpose-driven life because we know God made us in His image for His purposes with a goal. And also, it tells us that life is holy. Life is holy. With this worldview, uh, a baby inside a human mother is not a fetus. It's a human being in the image of God. And in that worldview, abortion is murder. So, because life is holy, and God is the one who authored life and authors life. He is the creator of life, heaven and earth, human beings, and everything else. See, life is holy. God, we have to answer to. We are subject to him. And friend, that is good news. That gives us a purpose. That gives us meaning. That gives us joy, real joy, and real freedom eventually. See, we are in a spiritual fight. Our fight is spiritual. Now, Paul the Apostle writes about our fight that we are in in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against forces of wickedness, dark forces in this world. Read it for yourself, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and onward. And we need to be armored. We need to have on our armor to fight. And our armor is spiritual. It is not fighting with the weapons of the world. It is fighting with God's weapons of love and righteousness. And this worldview also teaches me it's not about me. It's about loving God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, and loving my neighbor as I love myself. Now, you've heard this before, I'm sure, from humanistic, new age type of people. They say, well, I must love myself first. I must love myself because if I don't love myself, I can't love others, you know. It sounds good, but the context of loving yourself is to love God first. Love God, love others, and you will have no problem in loving and accepting 
yourself. How do I love God? By realizing how much he loves me. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, I love God because he first loved me. So that's what we believe. We come from God. We are created in the image of God with a purpose, with goal, with a goal, and we are holy. Life is holy. And therefore, life is sacred. It's very important. Now, what is the problem? What is the problem? Is, is, are the problems precious from the outside? So, social and cultural problems from the outside? Those are symptoms. But the root of the problem is the depravity of the human heart. There is no one good, no, not one. Psalm 14, Romans 3. It's not the pressures from the outside. It's the brokenness. It's the depravity of humans, the heart. Now, humanism says, secular humanism says, what is true for me is good for me. What is true for me might not be true for you. But you know what? That's, that's silly. That's stupid. Truth is truth. It has never changed. It has never changed. Truth 2,000 years ago is still truth today because truth has a name. It's, his name is God, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is love and truth. God is love, 1 John 4, 8 and verse 16 as well. God is love and God is truth. Jesus is the incarnate truth. The Word of God is truth. It's always true, and it will always be true. It doesn't change. Humanism says, I determine right and wrong. What's right for me may not be right for you. What's wrong for me may not be wrong for you. Self decides what's right and wrong. Self decides what's true and what's not true. They, we get our, humanists say, we get our morals for, from our experience, from what we choose. But Christians say people with this worldview of judeo-christian and biblical values we get our moral standard from almighty god so where do we come from god had a purpose god made us we're in his image made in his image what's the problem the depravity the fallenness the brokenness of humanity what's the solution well we need a moral transformation of the spirit and soul. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born from above. You must be made new. How does that happen? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the solution is, is being recreated, being born from heaven above. Only God can do that. How do we get that? By repentance and faith, by turning to Him, making a 180-degree turnaround. We turn and focus and turn to God, and we believe in Him and the one He has sent. Repent and believe, Jesus said over and over again. That's the solution. I believe that has to happen on a personal level, maybe even on a church level or family level societal level, maybe even on a national level. But as we turn around and face God, 
we become new people. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Do we totally become perfect or do we never sin again? No. But he resides in us. He is in us. By his spirit, he lives in us. And he navigates us. He tells us wrong and right. Not what we feel, not our own intellect, not our choices and decisions that make something right and wrong. Him and him alone and his word determine what's right and wrong. Now, in closing, let me read 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to talk about this next week in detail as we talk about uh, the evil, answers to the evil in this world. Don't miss that message, please. Answers to, to the evil in this world. But Paul writes to Timothy some very strong words. Not really happy words, but important words. It says, but mark this, there will, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Oh, I think that hits right home. There will be terrible times in the last days. It's been that way for the last 2,000 years for sure, and it's intensifying. We'll talk about that next week in detail. What evil is doing in the world, why evil is here, and what our response should be. I want to encourage you. Let's not fight politically with others. Let's not fight Republican or Democrat. Let's not fight like here in Europe, we have more than two political parties. You know, we have red and black and blue and green and pink. We have uh, different uh, types of political parties, some that are more left, some that are more right, etc. But let's not fight on that level. Let's try to talk to people about worldview. See, I'm not political. I'm theological. I actually preach theolitics, not politics. I have my uh, compass from the Word of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Word of God is my measuring stick. It's my compass. It's my way of knowing what is right and wrong. I don't belong to a party I don't belong to a political party, I mean. I don't belong to, you know, any group in this world. My allegiance is to Christ Jesus. So let's try to talk to people biblically. Let's try to talk to people on a theological level rather than a political level. Let's quit fighting issues of politics and get right down to the truths of God's Word. Because we are created in the image of God. God has a plan and a purpose. There is uh, an end of the world. 
and we are marching towards it, it will get worse and intensify in evil. But we know Jesus wins. We know that in the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is the victor. And those who believe in him are victorious with him and in him and through him. Let us stand up for what's true. Let's not fight politically. Let's fight for Jesus with the proper worldview. We have a God that we answer to. We know the problem is the depravity and brokenness of humanity and the heart of humans. The solution is to become brand new people by being born from above, which only Jesus can work. And we know that our future is secure in Jesus. We are not afraid. And we stay on the tracks because only on the tracks we can have and experience real freedom, real joy, real love, and not something fake and phony that humans are trying to create. They're trying to create a human righteousness by excluding God. That's humanism. Man is in the middle. Man, humans. But our biblical worldview, our Christ-centered worldview is all about God in the middle. And we serve Him and answer to Him. And that's where the solution is. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the precious, wonderful, holy name of Jesus. We thank you that our life is in your hands and we are made in the image of God. We are images, imagers of God. And we belong to you. And we know that you have a plan for us. And we know that human, humans are broken. And we know that the only solution is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we pray, God, that people would realize that and see that. Open people's hearts and minds. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says in verse 4, that the God of this world, the devil himself, has blinded the hearts and minds of people. They cannot see. And in Ephesians 2, Paul said they're dead in their lifestyle, in their trespasses and sins. So we have to tell them about love and life and coming to know Christ and being born from above and by being able to see again. In the beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. So let's not fight politics. Let's fight for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us doing, doing, in doing just that. For your glory and honor and praise. In your name we pray. I love you. I had a great time with you. And don't miss next week when we talk about the answers of evil. The answers to the evil in this world. See you then.